Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast where we explore all things assisted reproductive technology and the way our lives and our families are changing with this new and evolving world of um, reproduction. And welcome back specifically because this is season three, episode one. We took a bit of time off for the summer only to get bigger and better and more, even more exciting guests on and more exciting content. I'm Ellen Trackman. I'm an attorney specialized in assisted reproductive technology law. Um, I founded Trackman Law Center and I co-own a surrogacy matching and support agency with my sister, Jennifer White. What? Me? I'm so excited. I'm so honored to be part of this and your project. So yay. Um, yes, I'm here. I am the uh, director of Colorado Surrogacy, Montana Surrogacy, and New Mexico Surrogacy. And we just like to make babies. You know, we, we really do want to put babies in people. So I mean, this is just what we do every day, right? <laughs> so to that end, uh, we found a phenomenal resource uh, called Pregnantish. And they have, it's really kind of lifestyle related content for um, people who are dealing with the world of infertility. And we're so lucky and so honored to be able to speak to Andrea Sertash, who is the founder of Pregnantish. And I, I would love to go into her background and talk about everything, how wonderful she is. But Ellen did a phenomenal job of introducing her during the interview. So uh, let's just listen. We are here today with Andrea Sertash, who comes across as so down to earth and humble, but everyone should know who doesn't already know her that she is a major superstar. She's been on Oprah, The View, she's done it all. She's a huge author, um, specifically a dating and relationship expert and written books like Cheat on Your Husband with Your Husband, and He's Just Not Your Type, and That's a Good Thing. Um so really an expert out there, but we are here and she's told so many other people's stories, but we're here to talk about her story specifically. Um, Andrea, do you want to give your own introduction as, as well? <laughs> as well, Welcome. Thanks for, thanks for such a nice introduction. Um, yeah, my um, I'm a relationship author, like you said, and columnist and TV personality. And I've hosted a lot of shows about relationships and um, and I've been really lucky in my career to have this great media platform to help people navigate relationships and love, not always romantic relationships. I've given talks about office relationships and friendships and in-laws. Um, but the biggest relationship challenge that I felt has been way underserved in my category is, is uh, challenges around fertility because it affects relationships so deeply. So I know we'll get to why I launched um, pregnantish.com, but it really was inspired by the fact that as a relationships writer, this was a, a category that I felt was, wasn't talked about enough. Right. That makes sense. And, you know, I, I've seen pregnantish and we'll get to talking about more about how you started and what a great resources for everyone out there. But you talk even on the site, these videos about, what inspired you and that while you were on air, while you're being this big personality and having this amazing career of going to interviews that you have shots and medication in your purse and you're like running between appointments and um, how kind of, how did that, how did that start and evolve? Where did you, 
mm-hmm. how, how long has this been going on? <laughs> We're just oh, yeah. No, the how long? Um, well, we've been trying. I mean, it, you know, when you've been trying for so long, sometimes it's hard to remember exact dates. But um, my husband and I started trying, not trying about almost a decade ago. And then um, started my first fertility kind of treatment slash appointment was almost seven years ago. Um, I had, um, I was actually hosting a show for the Oprah network back in 2012. And in earlier that year, I went to the doctor cause we'd been trying for a couple of years. It wasn't taking. And the doctor said, you have a massive fibroid tumor covering your oh, to- wow. tubes and ovaries. And oh, wow. I didn't realize, I just thought I was gaining weight, but I did look pregnant. <laughs> I was like, oh, I was carrying this tumor. It's so, it's so unfair. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Um, so I truly, uh, I would say to my husband all the time, don't I look pregnant right now? And he'd say, you know, he's very supportive. So he probably li- lied a lot. Like, oh, <laughs> but I was like, yeah, no, something's up in my body. But I just thought I was, you know, gaining weight. So then and you I were, were you in pain? No, no pain. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, but clothes weren't fitting me around my tummy so well. And my belly was jutting out. So it wasn't that crazy when the doctor said you have such a massive, I went to an RE um, for an ultrasound and she said, and her terminology was terrible because knowing we had been trying the, what she said was not too sensitive. She said, it's like you have two babies heads in there. How do you not know you have this? And I said, oh, wow, That's creepy, but thank you. But okay, what do I do? And this was in early 2012. And she said, well, you're going to need probably open stomach surgery because it's so big. Um, we can't take this out without that. But I was um, in a hosting contract with the Oprah Network and I knew I was filming. And so I said, well, is it, a, is it urgent? And she said, I remember good news, bad news. The good news is it's not urgent. It's benign tumors. The bad news is you've had this for so long. I mean, the good bad news is you've been carrying this probably for a couple of years. So it doesn't matter if you wait two months, three months, or it doesn't matter. You've been carrying this for a while. So I put off the surgery until July, 2012, just to finish um, filming. And then I had the surgery and my husband and I said, okay, great. Now we're going to get pregnant. What's the, what's the recovery like for that? I mean, you you obviously couldn't just do it Um, on Friday and show back up to to filming on Monday. No, no. I had to finish filming because it's a very long, uh, this kind of surgery is pretty major. It's invasive. I was in the hospital for five days. I was, um, I couldn't, uh, I was on bed rest essentially after recovering. And um, even a friend of mine had passed away in California and I, I didn't even have clearance to fly there. Oh, um, heartbreaking. So it was a really hard time, needless to say. But through this, I was actually working on a new book with my co-author and he was visiting me in the hospital. So I've been working through infertility um, for years, uh, but that was like the most that was the first example of trying to balance work life during um, treatment to try to get pregnant. Writing yeah. from your hospital bed, having your co-host come right. to the hospital. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. My did, did the RE that. give you any sense at that point? Like if once you had that removed that you would be more likely to be successful after that? Well, I remember them saying, you know, ch- ch- chances look good. You're, you know, it's basically, I, 
it was okay. Like I didn't, I didn't think, I really believed that this was what was in our way for those years. So, and I think they believe that too. So we started IUIs, I want to say six months, four months after surgery, we needed my body to recover before I started. Um, but then, you know, so then I went through maybe three IUIs, um, and got pregnant in September, 2013 on my third IUI. Um, everything's a long process because as you guys know, after, after like a major surgery, for instance, you, you need four or five months off. So, and between IUIs, sometimes I'd take off two months or I'd be again on a book tour and scheduling around it. So I got pregnant in, in September, 2013 and I, um, miscarried in November. I had a DNC of 2013 and we sent the tissue away and it came back healthy female. And the doctor said, listen, I think it was healthy, but it could have been your tissue. It's possible, but let's keep trying because we, we actually, you got pregnant and we think it was healthy and let's try again. And that was November, 2013. Now, again, my work life, which is why my welcome video is called, um, I faked it on national television because going through miscarriage, all of this in front of an audience, literally I was presenting it that November, I was the guest speaker for Allure magazine with Movado watches at Lord and Taylor in New York City in front of 300 women, uh, teaching a dating workshop called Meet the One. And press was there. And I'm all over to this day, Getty Images uh, with Allure magazine, the editor in chief, me and her. And I see how sad I looked because I was going through this terrible uh, thing behind me the chill. scene. Wow. Um, so. Yeah, it was really, it was really, and I know anyone listening who's gone through infertility gets all these moments of faking it when you're trying to put on a brave face and me in front of an audience wanting to tell them, I want to curl up right now. I do not want to be here, even though I'm happy to meet you and teach this love workshop. I'm, I'm heartbroken. And so there were so many moments in these seven years of performing while going through infertility that I can't, I mean, I could write an entire book about just those moments. <laughs> yeah. So at what point did you start to talk about it more publicly then? I started to, I think a couple years, even a year in, I was telling good friends. And then from there, I was starting to tell more family members. Um, my parents knew, my sister knew, my sister had IVF. So she was giving me advice in the early days about IVF. Um, she was lucky in that she had my niece who's beautiful and wonderful after her first IVF. So we really believed also IVF was the ticket right away. I, um, I was going to ask, even before you started, whether of your, your family had any history of it. Did, did your sister have this kind of during the same process or before you even started? Where she was, she was going through it. My niece is five. So she was going through it while I was, she, but, um, she's, yeah, I mean, she had, I think two or three IUIs and one IVF and had my knees. So, uh, and I'm younger than her. So anyway, long way of saying when, um, when I started moving on from IUI because the doctor actually said, actually, you may have some scar tissue left over from your surgery. And, and I had other things, you know, I still have fibroid tumors and I have mild endometriosis. When I was 14, I was hospitalized with endo. So I, my mom reminded me of that when I said, why is this happening? She said, you know, I just want to remind you, it's kind of, um, 
not fun, but to remind you, but when you first got your period, we had to take you to the hospital because you were in such pain. Um, so you've always probably had this fertility issue. We just kind of tabled it when we put you on the birth control pill and we forgot about it. And when that happened when you were 14, no one said anything to you about long-term fertility or if they did, you just don't remember because you were 14. Yeah, good, good question. Both. I remember a doctor saying I may have issues ahead and we need to, to monitor it. I also have thyroid history in my family and other, other things. So I remember it coming up ish, yeah. um, <laughs> but, but, but not ish works for everything. Yeah, yeah. But, but not like, not in a really way that, um, scared me too much though. I do remember telling my husband when we got married, we may have some issues with you know, but, but we were like, let's just take our time and, and try naturally. And so, and my mother did have some infertility and my sister certainly had it. So it's not shocking that, that I had it. I think what's been most surprising is how long this journey has been. And I know you guys know in the surrogacy world, um, what by the time a heterosexual couple lands on surrogacy, it's not usually been just a year. It's like a very long process to realize maybe you shouldn't use your body. And we'll talk about that after. But I, I went through every, you know, I've gone through 18 treatments. So I, I, I get this very deeply. So you, yeah. so you moved from IUI to IVF. How did that, how, how did that feel, that transition? How did it go? Did you, you're just like, this is it. That's fine. We're moving to the thing that will yeah. work. I remember after I was devastated end of 2013 from the miscarriage, I may have tried a few more IUIs just because they were covered by insurance. But I remember a doctor saying to me, yeah. And I remember a doctor saying to me, I think you have a really good shot at IVF. And I kind of thought it would be one and done. So I said, okay, let's do it. So, and my husband's a teacher and we had some coverage. So um, we started IU, IVF in 22014 uh, again, I was hosting a new show. It's like I was now hosting. Oh, and a so then you were going through retrieval and everything else. And oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I was actually uh, traveling. This show never aired. It was a great show for TLC called "The One That Got Away," and I was traveling all over the country reuniting long lost lovers. And I was trying to go to these appointments when I, whenever I was in New York. But the reproductive endocrinologist said, "Finish filming." And then we'll do IVF. And so in about June, July, I did my first IVF, 2014. And um, he put in two blastocysts, five-day-old embryos, and it didn't stick. And I remember thinking, you know what? I have a Europe trip booked in July. And in in a way, maybe I don't want to be pregnant during that. So that's fine. So we'll do it again when I'm back in September. Uh, We did our second IVF. I I remember rationalizing. I was very, (laughs) oh, yeah. Like, and I'm a very optimistic person. So I remember the nurses always said to me, well, we love your attitude. Cause I'd be like, no big deal. We'll, we'll do it again. So I came back September, did it again and I got pregnant and that was September, 2014. And I was like, this is it. I'm so lucky. I can't believe that it was this easy. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, it just took it my second IVF. And then I miscarried. That was a much smaller, uh, like I wasn't pregnant as long. We didn't have a heartbeat this time, but it was still, that was, that got me. Like I was on my knees. I I couldn't breathe when I, when I lost that one, because in my heart, I was like, this is finally our chance after, I guess at that point, four years or whatever it was, this is it. 
And when we lost it, um, I, w- I did not know what to do next. And um, 2015 rolled around and I went to Toronto where my sister had her IVF with with her doctor, uh, who's Dr. Bentov, who I love. And and he basically said, we need to give your body a break because there's, we think like you, I, I respond very strongly to the stims and I made many follicles. And he said, let's just um, do a frozen embryo transfer next time. Let's give your body a break. So in 2015, so anyway, this timeline is very long. I feel like so, we could spend just, your whole podcast. Yeah, yeah, no, just so people who don't know. So, so yeah. you had done a fresh cycle before where they, basically they retrieved your, your eggs, fertilized them, and then yeah. like promptly afterwards put them back into you and your yeah. uterus. And which I, which I understand that frozen in that context can be a lot better just because if you freeze your, your embryos and your uterus can kind of like reset and get some of that medication mm-hmm. out. But. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And you know, it was a relief to me. There's something really, uh, it's a real mind trip when you get a cellular update daily on your embryos. I mean, I would never, I'd be like, are we transferring on day five? Will we have anything in that Petri dish on day five? And it would drive me crazy. And there was a lot of peace that came with the doctor saying, here's the good news. You're going to give your body a break. Um, you don't need to be on alert on call for a fresh transfer and we're going to really, we're going to freeze them and then we're going to transfer and let's see how that goes. So that was in 2015. And I remember how many embryos and I asked, did you end up with in 2015? We had three embryos from one cycle, um, five day embryos. And I remember the doctor there saying, these look perfect and beautiful. And I was like, great this is it. (laughs) Um, now it's a theme. Um, I had a book coming out. I mean, it's always like the reason my media platform matters in this story is that I was, everybody is juggling work, life, fertility treatments, including me. I was just doing it in front of an audience constantly. So, um, when I finally came out, which I know we're going to talk about, it was extremely, it was a huge relief because I was so sick of not telling people that I had to go to the bathroom to do a shot or whatever it was. Um, well, and you, you were doing it on a much bigger platform of like a national audience, but I mean, I think a lot of people can relate that even if it's just the audience of like your immediate coworkers, oh, absolutely. Family, that's, that's big that you are putting on this performance and people are kind of watching yeah. you and you can't tell them what's really happening with you. That's right. I mean, in the welcome video, I said, even if you haven't been on national TV, I know you've had the same experience of feeling like you're performing a one woman show, holding a life changing secret, you know, in front of an audience. We've all had that. And so through infertility, unless you're a blogger and you're broadcasting every moment, you've had that experience. So I, um, I went and I did the transfer and the two times I had lost a pregnancy, I had flown. I'd been on a flight just before I lost the pregnancy. So I said to the doctor, you know what, this time um, after the transfer, I'm not going to fly. Like, I know there's no real evidence, but I'm but just sure. not going to fly. Yeah. You never know. Right? Sure What's that, that one that, yeah. You don't know. Right. Exactly. Let's change it. And and we all put a lot of pressure on ourselves that we have more control than we do a lot of times, frankly. But I said, I'm not going to fly. So I went to Toronto and for the embryo transfer, I don't even remember when this is. It was either summer or winter of 2015. 
after giving my body a four or five month break while I was on a tour of whatever I was doing. And then, um, and my mom sat in the room with me during the transfer and he said, this is beautiful. I think this is your ticket. I took a 10 hour train ride home from oh, a train uh, ride. Toronto to New York. <laughs> oh yeah. I was like, I'm not yeah. getting on that plane. I ate red meat. I don't even like red meat. I don't really eat it. I, I like did Ayurvedic. I did acupuncture. I went around the world and back with everything I did to like make my uterus warm and happy. Pineapple cores, every single myth you could possibly imagine. I meditated. Did you eat McDonald's French fries? Oh, I ate McDonald's burgers. (laughs) I I did everything. And that's the funniest part um, of this process, like what we're told works, because none of us really know cause and effect at the end of the day. Even the doctors don't. Throw it all in there um, just to be safe. (laughs) Throw it all. I'm like, I'm not. He said it's beautiful. This is our baby. That's what I'm going to do. And then I got the results that it didn't take. And I said, I called my doctor crying and I said, I don't, I give up. Like, I do not know what to do anymore. You keep telling me these embryos look great. And he said, look, I don't know if it's an egg quality issue or your body, but let's do more testing on your body. Um, I knew I had autoimmune issues because um, I've tested positive for lupus, though I don't have lupus. I, I carry so many things in my body. I have inflammation. I have high natural killer cells. There's, there's debate whether or not that really affects a pregnancy. But nevertheless, the doctors were saying, look, with 18 treatments and beautiful looking embryos and a DNC that showed healthy, your body may be rejecting this. So let's, let's get enough embryos to PGS test, genetically test, and then you'll decide what to do. Um, so between gosh, in 2016, I did retrieval after retrieval Oh wow! to try to just wow. get eight embryos that look good. Because um, you're only getting a couple then, each time and then they're yeah, testing. I'd get like two blasts and yeah, exactly. And, and by the way, two of my retrievals we had to cancel because it was poorly timed and I got money back from the clinic. It's a long story, but there are also issues sometimes on the clinic side um, with timing. Um, so they weren't all bad per se, bad cycles. It just, I was triggered at the wrong time or whatever happened. So I just did, I was like, which is terrible. You're doing these shots in yourself going through all this and like, nope, this isn't going to work this time. No, I mean, it's maddening. And I, that's why I call myself an overachiever. I I was going to bring that up. I love that on your site that you call yourself an overachiever. (laughs) So exactly. So I was like, Yep. Keep, keep bringing them out. Like I was just on a mission and, um, and then we sent them for genetic testing in 20, uh, January, 2017. Uh, I hosted a show theme theme, uh, for Fox, uh, no, that was in 2017. I'm so confused. It's a long journey. This is all happening. Yeah. So I was again, working around that. And then, um, yeah. And then I, we, they came back and they said we had some healthy embryos and they basically said, listen, your best shot is not putting it in your body anymore. So if you want to meet your baby, uh, you may want to pursue gestational surrogacy. Did that come as a surprise or had you kind of been starting to prepare yourself mentally that that might be what you need to consider? That was a relief to be honest. Um, if I were in year one or two, I think it would have been heart wrenching that I couldn't carry. And, but 
but at this point I needed answers. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I can't, I can't do this to my body anymore. I, I've done, I mean, people have certainly done more than me over longer times, but in my circle of people going through infertility, I had done the lot, the most cycles that I had known from anyone in the longest number of years. And I had launched Pregnantish during this. I, I incorporated Pregnantish in September, 2016. So I've been in real time Pregnantish through all these stops and starts. And so I was, I had come out to on Facebook in January, 2017, before we got the test results for our embryos. So I knew like something had to change. So yeah, it was a relief actually to hear. Where that. where did you start? Once you hear that message, what was your next step? Where did you where did you look well, to kind of figure that out? <laughs> I um didn't know and I um you know, we've covered on pregnantish and when I know we'll talk about pregnantish after, but we've definitely talked about surrogacy and just being a gestational carrier and we've published first person essays by carriers. So I knew a little bit about it through my community now, through Pregnantish. Um, but I decided originally to go through Canada just because my husband and I are from there. It's all touristic surrogacy there. And I um, we had exhausted our bank account going through seven years of treatment. So um, it just felt like, yeah, our families are there. Let's do it this way. Our embryos, you know, some of them were created in Toronto. Um, so we put in our IP, our embryos had Canadian citizenship. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And we put in our intended parent profile. I think that's a fascinating chapter that I'm going to write about one day. Um, just trying to prove frankly that you're, you should be a parent after going through all this to be a parent feels like a sick joke by the same token. It's a beautiful exercise because, it really solidified, you know, my husband and I had to communicate together what our goals were um, in this. And it was actually a great exercise for us, though also heart-wrenching. When I live in Brooklyn and I'd walk downtown Brooklyn and see parents with children who probably shouldn't be parents sometimes and think, like, I have to prove that I'm And now I'm the one. Yeah. I mean, I think similar with when people choose the adoption or choose or not choose, they have to turn to adoption where you're having to have your a home study done. And you know so many parents are like, they would never pass a home study ever. Exactly. So all of that. It it does feel like a kick in the teeth all the way around. It it does also because even I think, you know, my my husband, he's in a, he's gone to the White House as a teacher of America. I mean, he met Obama as a teacher of America. I write about love for a living. Like, if there are good candidates to probably have a kid, maybe we qualify. Um, so I was just like, are you serious? And I remember saying to my husband, you don't look friendly enough in, in this photo. Uh, oh, and wow. like, you're going crazy, Andrea. Like, if she's not going to pick us. And I also remember he picked Passover as his favorite holiday. And I said, that's the wrong answer. Surrogates want Christmas as the oh. best holiday. And he said, I don't want some. To be ourselves though. Yeah, yeah, we need to be who we are. Like that, I love Passover because I'm with our family. And, and it's because of family that I like this holiday. We're not religious. But he said that as a um, his favorite holiday just because of the family connection and I was just going nuts. Like, we're not going to be chosen. <laughs> so, um, that was a crazy exercise. Um, we matched with a surrogate in June of 2017 who dropped out a couple of weeks later. 
Um, and then, oh, that's gonna. Oh, that's so hard that you like. Yes, our profile succeeded. Yes. Someone chose us. Yes. And do you know why she dropped I out? Think Is- she jumped in head first. She had just been a surrogate for a gay couple back in British Columbia, where she lives in, and her husband is blind. And I think he was probably like, "Why are you doing this back to back?" So, um, I actually kind of I, I can't legally mention the agency name, but I kind of blame the agency because they kept setting us up with people who weren't ready. Um, the second person they set us up with in August of 2017, we had a Skype and I was crying. I remember saying, I can't go through more stops and starts. If it's, you know, I can, if hormones don't work, that's one thing. If it's human error, I can't handle it anymore. So I need, I, I so appreciate that you want to do this for us, but I need to know you're on board because I I cannot go through this again. And she said, I'm not going anywhere. I'm here. And we started the process. And between August and December, as you guys know, we had to do all the legal, all the medical, all the counseling, all the screening, a lot of Skypes. Um, I was sending her child's birthday gifts. I was sending her flowers. We were emailing. We were in touch. And uh, my birthday's December 5th. And I emailed her and I said, I'm so grateful I woke up on my birthday I'm so grateful that you may finally give me a birthday. And her response was off. And I keep in mind, I I give relationship advice for a living. So I was like, something is going on. So I said to the agency, I, and again, I'm not going to mention her name or names because I don't think she's a terrible person, but she clearly got cold feet. And, um, and then, you know, she dropped out. Uh, The agency told me I was overreacting and um, they said, ship your embryos. We're going to do the transfer right after the holidays in January. And I said, I'm not shipping anything until I know because I feel something is off in January. Wait, ship your embryos with her because they're saying, oh, she doesn't really get cold feet. That she'll be back. Is that? They said, no, she's argue? still on board. It's holiday time. You're looking into things. And I said, I don't want to ship my embryo to Toronto that we're going to use. Uh, from New York until I know she's really in because she hadn't signed the legal contract and we had given her literally every single thing. And you guys know this more than anyone. Like she had asked for whatever she asked for doula, whatever we said, yes, 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 yes. Yeah. So there was yeah. nothing left in the process. So I, I just said, I'm not, I'm not shipping anything until I know she signed this because we, I, and then January 9th, I got a January 9th, 2018. I got a message She's decided she's at a place in her life where she can't do this. She needs to get her life in order. It may take a year. And I couldn't get out of bed. <laughs> that was January 2018. Now, again, I have pregnant at this point, so I can tell my audience what's going on. I was the keynote speaker at a support call, keynote, whatever. I was a speaker um, in Chicago. And I opened by saying, I need wow. to tell you guys what's happening tonight because I, but I'm, good for you that you could open with just putting your heart out there to tell, tell everyone what's happening. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. I had to, and it was a relief to not do it in the dark anymore. Um, but uh, that was 2018. And anyway, again, very long story. So basically my cousin. And we're talking uh, now, July. I mean, we don't know when people listen to this, yeah. but it's July, 2018 right now. It's July, 2018. So <laughs> just yeah, identify yeah, the, exactly, the current time. Exactly. So in January, February, of 2018, which is how many months ago, I don't know. Um, my cousin emailed me and said, have you ever thought of a family member? And 
I was. And you had never, you hadn't thought of her or asked her. I had, to be honest, but I would never ask her because we're close and people always have told us we're similar and she has two kids and has had healthy pregnancies. I just would never ask her or anyone. Um, That's just such a huge ask. So I was, I couldn't, I was so um, in shock. Um, and that's where we are now. I mean, it's been a great experience. We've gone through a big process, you know, it takes a long time to get everything in order, but so far the doctor says everything looks good with her body. And, um, I'm just so relieved it's, it's her. <laughs> so, and yeah, I was going to ask, so how do you feel about it being a family member? I mean, cause it's oh, so yeah. being a relationship expert. I mean, it's so, so close, so personal. You've known this person for so long. Yeah. Sometimes that can be better. Or sometimes it can be worse. For me, it's been better because now I think it's very different in the U S where it's not altruistic surrogacy. Um, in Canada, it just felt too risky to keep getting, I know that I actually have friends who have used Canadian surrogates, had a great experience. I just had really bad luck where two dropped out. And then the third one they wanted to match us with had a kid with post, um, fetal child alcohol syndrome. Um, oh, so needless, that's a bad sign. No, yes. <laughs> so needless to say, I had to hire a lawyer in February to threaten to sue them. And we settled with them in the end. Um, because I think they're really negligent as an agency. I just can't believe they kept setting us up with these candidates. I don't think that's the experience with so many good surrogacy agencies, but in my case, I, a family member was a huge relief. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. I can't wait. Obviously, this you is know, fresh and new, all this stuff. Yeah, exactly. You know our kids, all this stuff, but I can't yes, wait to hear an update. Don't have fetal alcohol syndrome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I hope to have a great update soon. Um, continue to have a good update because I'm a little bit like, hey, universe, I've learned my lesson. <laughs> I, oh, I don't need more lessons if, about infertility. You've learned it over and over again. Yeah. Well, yeah. We are pulling for you and cheering for you, and we'll be very excited to, to send you onesies and congratulations. Uh, when exactly. Yeah, so let's turn to to your other baby, the one that has been born and is there supporting others as they go through this. Tell us about um, your inspiration for Pregnantish and what your goal is with it and what, what it does. Sure. Thank you. So yeah, I launched Pregnantish.com early 2017 as the first media site to help singles, couples, LGBT navigate infertility and or fertility treatments because we know not all gay couples are infertile and not all people going through infertility access fertility treatments. So both of those are in my mission statement. And I mean, I found it very bizarre being in the media for so long that um, infertility was relegated, like it was on parenting sites as a vertical, which is a terrible place to go when you're going through infertility to have to go to a parenting site to find your sad section. Um, or there were blogs, which blogs can be great, but they're first person, or there were medical sites and clinics and advocacy sites like Resolve doing great work, but again, not a lifestyle media site. So I knew, you know, I've worked in media for long enough with my books and TV shows and magazines. I have a very large network of media editors and writers and producers I can access, and I knew that we'd produce premium content for a premium audience. That was its own category. It's infertility. We're not just a vertical in another magazine. 
That's great. I I love the name, and it's Thank such you. it's so funny because you always say like you're pregnant or you're not. Yeah, and this this it's not the truth. There's something in between, really, that you you talk about in terms in this this word. Yes. Yeah, you can be a little bit pregnant. I've learned that. <laughs> so, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> I trademarked it. Uh, I actually own the word, which is kind of fun. Um, in 2016, I trademarked it. Good for you. Yeah. Great so I, I, it's my word. <laughs> I actually, um, I actually had it as a book proposal in 2014. Um, before I miscarried, and my agent said, "I, I think I have interest, and I could sell this." And I miscarried and I said, I can't write it. So th- this has been brewing for a long time before it was a site. It was a book. Uh, who knows if I'll ever write that book. I might. I was going to ask, do you think it'll still be a book one day? You know, it's funny. I've written five books and I'm too extroverted to be a, an author. Like I just, writing a book is a lot of work and I loved it. I love, I feel very honored that I've written books and been published. It's amazing. But I love highlighting other good writers now through Pregnant Ish. We have three New York Times bestselling authors writing for us. We have incredible contributors. I work with an amazing editor named Linda. Uh, I'm the editor-in-chief, but she's a health book editor. And she really, she really, um, she really understands how to, uh, the good storytelling. And so it was really important to me, again, why is the content in this category so schlocky at times when the audience is so smart and thoughtful? It doesn't make sense. So I, um, I hired, you know, even my video team for the video you saw in my intro was filmed at NBC. Um, I was able to have producers and editors from the New York times and, um, today show and, uh, these amazing people in media have worked on Pregnantish and all our live events, which we do live events every four to six weeks across the country. All of those live events have media moderators. We've had Women's Health and BuzzFeed and New York Times. And I mean, so I'm, what I'm really doing, I'm not trying to make infertility cool. It will never be cool, but I'm trying to make the content different from what's been kind of offered um, in terms of just lifestyle content, I always say I'm media, not medicine. I'm not trying to be the clinical voice. I always uh, quote great doctors, great clinical voices, great psychotherapists. I quote these people on the platform, but I don't pretend that that's what pregnant is. We're, we're credible, but we're not clinical. We're very much a lifestyle brand. Um, and that's what I feel has been missing in this space. So that's why I, I launched it. I love it. It's something that people are just so afraid to talk about that it's like, so how often do you see people, especially when you're filming or things like that, that come out about their infertility that either you wouldn't have expected or they admit that they wouldn't have unless you were there? You know, it's interesting. I've had a lot of people come out that um, one of my old shows, uh, the one for the Oprah Network, which was called Life Story Project, um, people would tell me their deepest, darkest secrets. The whole point of the show was I'd ask strangers on the street to open up about life challenges. And so I don't know if it's that people just tell me things or that I created a platform that um, is authentic and vulnerable because I'm being vulnerable. I think it's allowed other people to trust that I have their best interest in mind and I truly want to pamper them and serve them. We give gift bags at every event. Um, the patients, the consumers know that I put them first. And 
So what's happened is a lot of them have recently a wonderful woman named Stephanie Carton, who uh, wrote an essay for us, or as told to, we had our editor write it. It was called, I have MS, I have MS, but talking about infertility has been harder. Um, she came out to her Facebook recently and got like so many likes and engagement that she said, I don't know why it took me so long. This has been, it's really helpful that now I'm not, um, not hiding it. And now she's to this morning, she was at an appointment um, for her IVF and she was tweeting or Instagramming in real time. So like, I'm not, I want people to come out if, if only if they want to, but a lot of people through pregnant have told me that it gave them uh, more support and strength because, because I'm, I always say, don't judge a Facebook by its cover um, because people never knew what I was going through. Um, I think it helps them um, kind of get that, you know, they can do that too if, if they want to. Yeah. And it's such a great media platform. It's not just, I mean, it's great professional writing. You also have these kind of short videos that are really helpful and sweet. I know I clicked on one that was like, what to do when people ask you this question, like, why don't you have kids yet? Which is so, yeah. such a common question. And you're so great about acknowledging that, you know, people have the best, you know, they're, they're not trying to be mean. Yes. Um, but here's some, here's some great ideas on how to answer that. You have lots of options. Yeah. And I see Pregnantish as a relationship platform. So a lot of the content that you'll see, especially on the videos, are how to navigate friendships, work relationships, uh, sex <laughs> while you're going through this because it's a relationship issue. It, it hits us um, every relationship in our lives, including the relationship with ourselves and our bodies. But the relationship with our community is so um, affected. It's hard to be invited to baby showers every week while you're going through this. And we've all had that experience. Right. Um, aside from signing up and subscribing to, to Pregnantish and checking it out, what can, what can listeners, what can people do to, to support themselves going through this, to support others? Mm -hmm. Um, I think, well, the first thing is my advice and, and I'll put my relationship cap yeah. on for this, but <laughs> my advice to the listeners going through it is to set boundaries um, that feel right to you. Don't let anyone tell you how you should feel. Feel what you feel. And if people are crossing boundaries, they, they often just know they're, they're well-intentioned. They don't mean to be hurtful. But sometimes you need to teach people how to better talk to you. On the homepage of pregnantish.com, we have an article that you can share with friends and family, which is how friends and family should talk to you. <laughs> um, because it's, you it's hard sometimes to set those boundaries. But we, um, we share some tips in that for friends and family, what they should and shouldn't say. I tell people, stop using the word just and should when you're helping people through infertility. You should just get a surrogate. You should just adopt. These processes are so difficult and, um, and, and sometimes tough and there's no just or should about it. So I, um, I know the pain points very well. I've, been through it. I think subscribing to our newsletter, like you said, through Pregnantish on the homepage, there's a button subscribe is helpful because I always offer not only advice and links to popular articles, but um, free tickets or discounts for things. And we give gifts and I'm really like, how can I pay for How do we get gifts? So yeah, exactly. So, so through our newsletter and, and so you know about the live events coming to 
towns or cities across um, North America. Um, we we're going to be in Colorado actually oh, probably in October. Great. So I'll let you guys know about that. Yeah, we haven't we've just started planning, but we've done um, twelve events and they've all been sold out and standing room only, which I think for an infertility event is kind of amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sign, sign yeah. us yeah. up yeah. for the even if we just attend, show up and get <laughs> gifts. Everyone, right? That'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that's as simple as it is, but I'll email you guys offline more about it and, and hopefully, um, just kind of keep your eye out on our Colorado, um, event schedule, but we'll also be in California. We'll be, I mean, back in California, maybe Seattle, definitely New York. Um, we have a lot of great, we just did Boston. We have a lot of great places we're going to. That's awesome. Um, for, for, for events in person. And I felt that was important so that, this is such an isolating process so that we could look around the room and see that we're not alone. We have that on the bottom of our website. A lot of infertility platforms have you are not alone. It's the messaging. We want to show people through our events when they're standing room only, clearly you're not alone. And, um, and you know, when you're going through infertility, it feels like, well, this is a pun, but everyone and their mother is pregnant. It's like, I, wow, everybody is really easy for them. And we don't really know the backstory, but what's something amazing that happens when you work in infertility, and I know you both know this, um, but when you come to our events, you'll see this. It feels like suddenly everyone's going through fertility treatments or miscarriages or infertility. And not that you wish this. The statistic they say is one in eight. So, yeah. And I think it's even more. A Pew Research study came out yesterday that one third of people admit wow. that they've even either gone through treatment or know someone who has. Uh, yeah. So people of childbearing age, which I guess would be 16 to 44 or whatever it is, um, they one third of people know someone or they've gone through it. So we're, we're talking like a huge chunk of the population and yet not everyone's publicly telling their stories. So I think just being part of Pregnantish uh, is helpful to access all the stories and people and, and remember that you're not alive. Yeah, I, I will say I do love the idea that you guys are having events and all of these things because it really does, you know, I mean, on a personal level for me, it makes a difference to look around and see and actually see those faces because you're 100% right that that, you know, seeing you're not alone on a website, you know, there's nothing more alone than staring at that, st- that phrase on your computer while you're sitting by yourself. <laughs> but yeah. but when you go to an event yeah, and you look around and you go, all of these people are either impacted by this or care enough about people who are impacted by this to be here. You know, just when we went to the Walk of Hope uh, a few weeks ago, same thing. You know, it's that feeling going to the actual events and seeing the people that have this love for you and this community and who are enduring this as well. It's incredible. So you guys are doing really great things with that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I I agree. I think um, and friendships have been sparked through our events, and that makes sense because you know you just have people to check in with and um, support you and understand what you're going through. And I've met the most amazing people through Pregnantish that I never would have met had I not gone through this or launched this platform. So a lot of gifts have come out of this crazy, crazy path to parenthood um, that I'm grateful for. Well, we are grateful for you and we're grateful for all all the work you have done setting up this platform and being there and supporting others while also hopefully supporting yourself and know that that we hope to talk to you again and to be able to to update people and um, continue to support you and, and everyone else as we go through this. 
Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'd love to share hopefully a happy ending (laughs) one day soon. That would be great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Lesson of the day. I know it said a lot, but the answer really is that um, listening to to Andrea and talking about this great resource is that, that you really aren't alone and that there are some really great resources out there and people to talk to and um, articles to read that can be helpful and supportive. And I think Pregnantish really does add to that support out there. Um, and to support um, Andrea Moore, she has been nominated for a very exciting award, a WeGo Health Award. And she, I know she would love it if everyone wanted to, to click on her and to um help support that nomination and to endorse her for this really prestigious award. So if anyone who might be interested, you can go to wegohealth.com. So it's W-E-G-O-H-E-A-L-T-H.com, wegohealth.com, and click to nominees and you can endorse Andrea Sertash and Pregnantish and all the great work she's doing as a, as a patient advocate. And I believe just for anybody out there who's listening to this pretty quickly after it releases, there's only a couple days until the, the voting closes. So I think they said it was only until August 17th. So definitely, if you're going to, if you feel inclined to do so, please do so quickly because the, the, if you check after that, it won't be possible. You'll just have to see that she won after that, right? So, and to make us feel like winners, I really, we would love it if you guys would uh, go out to iTunes and leave us a review and tell us whether you think we are awesome or whether you think we need to improve. Cause you know what? We're, we're open to criticism. That's okay. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. We'll take it. Uh, we do love receiving emails and calls from everybody out there. And um, we, we just want to hear from you. So please feel free to reach out to us. And as always, Huge thanks to Chris at Work at Bird Studios for uh, removing all of our ridiculous giggling fits and making us sound better than we might sound otherwise. So thank you, Chris. We appreciate you. 